In Process Driven 37, I had part one of this two-part conversation with documentarist Jack Lowe. And while you don't need to have listened to part one to enjoy this conversation, I invite you to go back and listen to it if you haven't. Among other things, we talked about the origins of Jack's Lifeboat Station project, which has him traveling to all 238 lifeboat stations around the UK in his mobile darkroom Nina to make photographs with a 12 by 10 inch wet plate camera. In this conversation, we talk about some of the motivations for the project and the supportive community that has grown up around it, as well as what Jack would like people to take away from the body of work as a whole. And just as we did in part one, we go down a number of tangents and rabbit holes, including what happened on a family trip when Jack introduced his dad to his favorite film. My name is Jeffrey Sidoris, and this is another conversation with Jack Lowe. Please listen carefully. People often ask me, do you ever get bored of it? Aren't you, aren't you worn out? Aren't, aren't you um, tired of lifeboats now? You know, they think about like a long, of it being a long project and, you know, oh, you know, if, if only you'd known it would take this long, you might not have ever started. It's like, no, this is, I, I haven't been tired of the project or bored of it one second. I've been frustrated at times. Sure. Like maybe haven't been able to, join the dots financially or uh, you know in certain in, at certain moments um or that um it is just plain old hard work at times you know really like lots of traveling and and the process wet collodion is it's full on you know it, there's no two ways about it it's very physical requires high concentration and when you're on the road you're always switched on you you know you're performing um and people and, and the anticipation grows, you know, with each station that I go to. You know, when I, st- I I feel like I know that when I start up again and to photograph these last eighty-eight stations, this last two and a half, three years worth of work, there's going to be great anticipation there, and quite right too. Not le- not least from me. Um, I it it drives me. Um, and I'm always thinking about it. There's not a moment when I'm not thinking about how to do it better, right? Or how to introduce something new or how can i keep people entertained in a new way and actually that just going back to that those early moments um i think i must have got sidetracked again um i was talking about funding with print sales you know being a, <laughs> what this, a shock i know, I know. there's this kind of purest notion of funding the project with print sales the one thing i did learn on my own pre-reading amanda's amanda palmer's book was actually i need to offer people other ways of buying into the project Mm -hmm. um so that's when i started to release um uh publish uh, postcard packs and that kind of thing um and so i sold my postcard packs for a fiver um and that then enabled people to access the project at a whole new level and that was a an instant lesson for me then i introduced posters um and even clothing and other things um and then the key ring the the with courage key ring um, Which looks amazing. Yeah, that looks really cool. And have you seen the montage of the of something I, again that I never expected? And again, how would you ever predict this as a photographer at right. the time? You know, we're going back to that photography mentality. I was a photographer. How would you predict that in two or three years' time, you'd come up with a key ring that then 
somebody who's ordered it is a lifeboatman who says, Jack, I think you might like to see this. Or I thought you might like to see this. And it's the key ring attached to his emergency pager. So it's motivation of those words, with courage, nothing is impossible. The words of uh, Sir William Hillary, who founded the RNLI back in 1824, clipped to his emergency pager. And I said, oh, Simon, that's brilliant. Can I post that online? So I posted it online. And now I've got over 150 pictures Amazing. of key rings attached to Amazing. lifeboat pages. I mean, it, And again, it gets back to that idea of meeting people where they are. Yes. I, yeah, I don't exactly. have X number of dollars for a print, but I do, I, I can, I, I want to support you and I can do a poster or a pack of postcards yes. or a yeah. key ring. I, 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 I want to be a part of this, yeah. but I can't, I, I, you've, you've made it, you've allowed people to be a part of it where they can be and not have to feel like they can only be this way or no way. Exactly. And I think that's a really important lesson for anybody who's listening to this and, and again, wondering why something isn't working or, you know, always put yourself in the position of the audience um, and the different um, circumstances of the hundreds of people who might be paying attention and listening to your message. Um, you know, at a very, very basic root level, Jeffrey, when I'm writing my blog posts, you may have seen or maybe not even notice that I write more or less one sentence paragraphs mm-hmm. because I'm very, I feel like I'm very aware that a huge portion of the population are daunted by large amounts of text. Sure. Um, and some are dyslexic without even knowing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and people often comment about how nice and easy they are to read. And I know in my head that's because I, I use one sentence paragraphs. Well, and you're, um, you're keenly aware of, of valuing other people's time. I mean, we talked about yeah. that before as well, that, that yes. there is a, if, if I'm going to expect or, or demand is the wrong word, but if I'm going to, to, you know, want a bit of your time, I have to make it valuable for you as well. It's not just me shouting into the wind. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, quite right. You know, and it, um, and again, I think we may have discussed about a friend of mine who's looking over my shoulder once when I was writing an Instagram caption. Um, and he said to me, God, you take, you take a, a long time writing Instagram posts, don't you? And I said, well, the, these are my moments, you know, these right. are, everything has to, everything has to be crafted. Not just the photographs, not just the audio recordings, not just my communications with the lifeboat stations to organize the trips in the first place, but even my Instagram, well, you know, I'm not on Instagram now, just to be clear, but I, you know, I, I used Instagram a lot um, at the time. And my, same for my tweets, whatever I'm writing or doing, everything is crafted. Right. Very few things are throwaway. Right. And if I'm replying to people online, if it's appropriate and I can see what their name is from their profile, you know, if somebody replies to me, I'll go and have a quick look at their profile to see how they call them, how they refer to themselves. That's why I call you Jeffrey, because on your profile, it says Jeffrey. Right. I haven't taken the liberty of calling you Jeff because it says Jeffrey, you know? And so when I'm replying to somebody on Twitter, I'll say, thank you, Jeffrey. Or because I, I know how good I feel when I've replied on Twitter and somebody says, oh yeah, that's great, Jack. Thank mm-hmm. you. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, they've, they've taken a little moment just to know that I'm not just, you know, that I'm, I'm not just like a, they've taken a moment to pay attention. Right. That's what they've done. They've taken an extra moment to pay attention. And that's what I try and do with people as well, to 
make it into a, a respectful dialogue um, where, you know, no, where no one's more superior than the other person, right. you know? Well, you, you've taken the, it's not just an impersonal transaction. There, there is, as, as my wife, Adrian loves to tell me, it all counts. And even those little things that, that, that you do almost automatically now going and looking for someone's name, seeing how they want to be referred to, that's part of your process. But when, when we're on the receiving end of that, there is that, oh, oh, that's nice. You know, there, there is that, it, it feels somehow more personal or more intentional. And, and yes. if we've learned anything, intention matters, purpose matters. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. And I think it's, it's missing so much and people don't take it seriously enough because it's, because it's just social media or it's just a blog post. Right. No, right. Just let's just rewind on that a bit too. You know, let's just rewind there and remember how things were. You know, I, I feel, I actually feel lucky enough that I remember that to communicate with people, you either had to use a payphone, right, <laughs> or, um, or write a letter, right. Um, and you know, our, our kids are getting older now. You know, our, our oldest boy lives in New Zealand. Um, he's he's the lucky one of the luckiest boys on earth <laughs> because he's uh, living a restriction free right. life. He's New going Zealand. to concerts and restaurants. Yeah, and yeah, he's, yeah. He's probably out yeah. bowling right now. We, exactly, and you know, he's tw- he's twenty two, and and our youngest son is still at home with us. He's nineteen. Um, but I remember them asking us about ten years ago. Like, if if somebody didn't turn up on time when you arranged to meet them, what would you do? You um, wait. <laughs> yeah, you wait. And and I said, you know, I, I remember they, they loved hearing the story that if you were at a railway station, you'd have to go to the information desk and get them to put a message over the tannoy to say, could such and such please come to the information desk? Your your dad's waiting yeah, for yeah, you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or something. You know, I love that. And that's what I'm trying to do with the with the LSP Society. You know, that's, that's, that's the name I've given to my independent membership platform that's now nestled right within the website. I'm trying to make it more, more like the old days, you know, to be more society-esque. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, one of the things that's on my mind, I don't know if I'll get to it or not. I don't know. But I'd like to maybe make a quarterly newspaper or something for members, so they receive something in the post. Love it, and print it on newsprint, so it's got that yes. that sort of yeah. feel to it. Yeah, yeah. There are various companies that do that, mm-hmm. and I've seen people make them and seem to have fun with it. I thought, yeah, do you know that'd be a good thing? Maybe even to 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 write a letter to them. Oh, okay. Jeffrey, <laughs> no, go, go. Steve like, Zizu. Like, I, I can feel the energy. I can, you, you, yeah. you're, you're buzzing. Go. Oh, yeah. Steve Zizu. Steve yes. Zizu. Yeah. Do we know who Steve Zizu is? Uh, the uh, red beanie wearing captain of the Belafonte and founder of the Zizu Society. Exactly. Exactly. In which film? Uh, A Life Aquatic. Yeah. So on board the boat, the Belafonte. Um, in the life aquatic, okay, and that film is um, heavily influenced by Jacques Cousteau. Yeah, um, be honest. That film is your Blade Runner, isn't it? That's your Godfather. It, it is. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, and you know, Jacques Cousteau was a a French diver, and he had the Cousteau Society. Okay, 
when I, when I saw the film, The Life Aquatic, and that switched me on to Wes Anderson generally, the film director Wes Anderson, it, it just set something off in me, Jeffrey. The first time I saw it, I can't remember the first time I saw it. It might have been like mid-2000s, 2007, 2008, something like that. Um, and, you know, I was a little bit late to the Wes Anderson party because he was a kind of cult character at sure. that stage before before the arrival of things like Moonrise Kingdom and the Grand Budapest Hotel. and Which I loved. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, Royal Tannenbaums. Love oh that. my goodness you yeah. know exactly you know this wonderful lineage this again timeline of these beautiful films that basically center around dysfunctional human relationships which let's face it is life isn't it you sure. know we're all trying to function we're all trying to work out how to interact with somebody and people we've all felt like the bellboy at one point yes yes <laughs> and you know for those that haven't seen it, they're on a on a boat called the Bellafonte, which is essentially a dive vessel, isn't it? They're, they're, they're filmmakers and they make underwater movies like Jacques Cousteau used to make. And there was the Cousteau Society. And so in the in the Life Aquatic, there's the Zizou Society. Um, and you see in typical Wes Anderson style these typewritten letters, don't you? Um you know, beautiful letters made on a typewriter on headed paper and they have their correspondence stock, you know, and I just love all that. I love all those touches. Um, and the, it was the life aquatic that taught me how I, how I might want to run my project, um, which came much later. You know, I used the life aquatic as a kind of, um, as a reference point you know, that I, I could see the some of the ingredients that might be needed to tell an interesting story, which would partly include an interesting vehicle to travel in. You know, there needed to be a journey, there needed to be an end goal, there needed to be a map, and there needed to be an interesting vehicle to travel in. And the Life Aquatic has all of those. And that's what made it apparent to me that that's what I'd need for the Lifeboat Station project. Because people love maps, they love journeys, they love interesting vehicles. So that's what I've done. You know, look at the, look at look at the life aquatic and basically see what I'm making. That's right. Um, Complete with and, Nina. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nina is my Belafonte. You know, <laughs> and and you know, do you want to know a detail about Nina? Um, I don't know if you've noticed that she that Nina is written is actually hand painted on the cab door. I have not noticed that her name is 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 hand painted on the cab door. So that was a um, a guy who's a friend of mine here in Newcastle. He's a purveyor of another Victorian art, which is uh, handwritten signage. Mm. And so I swapped a print with him in exchange for him hand-painting Nina on the door, of the, on the cab door on each side. I love it. But the, but the typeface that we used is the same typeface that's in Moonrise Kingdom. Of course it is. On, on the credits, um, <laughs> which it. is called, it's called Tilda. After Tilda Swinton, who's who's an actress in Moonrise Kingdom, um, and the colour of the typeface on Nina's door is lifeboat orange, and the drop shadow is lifeboat blue. Um, so there's something behind everything, you know. I love it, and I love that you um, swapped skills, that you bartered yes. skills yep. to make that happen. I love yep. that. 
I really wish generally that money didn't have to be involved because I would do all of this just for the absolute love of it. And that's the other top tip is don't do anything for money. Just do the things you believe in it and keep your fingers crossed that everything else will fall into place. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, and I think you might have touched on that. You did touch on that, didn't you, with John? Mm-hmm. In the, in your, um, you, you do things because you believe in them and then decide afterwards if you want, if you can make it into money or, if, you know, or how you might turn it into stuff that will pay the bills. But, you know, make the beautiful work first just because you believe in it and, and you believe it's the right thing to do. Um, well, if you don't believe in it, how yeah. how do you have the audacity to believe that or to, to expect that anyone else will believe in it? If you don't believe in the work that yeah. you're doing, why yeah. should anyone else believe in it or support it with their dollars? Yes, exactly. And actually, that was a poignant comment that somebody left for me about two or three years ago. Because um, I mentioned it in my automated thank you email that goes out to people. Sorry, I just need to have a little sip of water, Jeffrey. Hang on. <laughs> We've lost seven pounds. We have, thank God for that. <laughs> it had to happen somehow. <laughs> I didn't know it would be through hot air. That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, right, I'll go back a step. Um, yeah, in the automated email that I um, used to send out from Patreon. Uh, so when a patron signs up, they get this automated thank you message that describes, you know, um, what they let themselves in for, um, and and at the end it says, if you can, you know, possibly take a moment just to drop me a line and let me know how you found me and why you committed to paying. That'd be re- really useful for me to know and to possibly tweak things in the future if I can improve things. And this guy wrote to me and said, I followed for a while, but to be honest, I was one of those people who just scrolled through and was entertained. I just I just didn't think about what it took to make this project. And then I saw a particular post of yours and realised how committed you were. And it's when I saw how committed you were that I thought I'd be as committed as I could in my way as well. Um, wow. And I, yeah, and as you just said, Jeffrey, you know, why should anybody else believe in you if you don't believe in yourself? Mm-hmm. Um, and that, that, you know, that's a vital thing to carry forward as well. There are so many things, so many things I've learned about being a human, about being a creator, um, about what makes people tick, and and the the skill actually, like opening yourself to the skill set beyond photography that you should you should be able to do anyway, or sound recording which you should be able to do anyway. Um, allow yourself the fact that it's a skill and an art to be a hum- a human person as well, you know, to be a people person. Um, and to al- allow yourself to learn that as a skill set as well, because to some people, I don't know if you uh, what you think when you hear my voice, but here in the UK, my voice is considered to be quite posh. And be- because of your accent, or because yes, yeah, okay, yeah, it, it's like we got so many dialects squashed into quite a small country. You know, you don't have to travel far. You could just travel two miles or five miles to hear a completely different accent in this country. And people judge you. You know, they make an, they judge an, their first impression on you based on how your voice sounds. Right, right. Yeah, I remember talking to Simon Baxter about that. Uh, but I, I, don't, I don't hear that, I guess, because I don't have, obviously, I don't have the, the association with the history of it that, that you do as, as, as a Brit. But yeah. Um, yeah, he he spoke very pointedly about uh, 
dialects and accents and and how they are different and and how they are thought of in different regions in in the UK. That's right. Yeah, I mean, so, so my accent would be considered to be a southern accent, um, and that's because although I was born in Scotland in Aberdeen, as I mentioned earlier, I grew up in the south. I grew up in Kent and Hampshire, um, which is very much on the south coast, you know, like the deep south of, of England. Um, but now I live in Newcastle upon Tyne, which is in the far northeast of England, where there's a very strong dialect, northern dialect here. But can you can you imagine traveling to 238 lifeboat stations? around the entire coastline of England, Wales, Scotland. It's my job even more so to find a way and work on my skill set of being accepted quickly Mm -hmm. to get past people's judgments. Because sometimes it works for you, but more often than not, it works against you. Having Mm -hmm. an accent like this that's considered considered to be posh. Mm -hmm. Um, And that was... Perhaps one of the most daunting things of all for me is not how am I going to wet, make wet collodion work. Um, well, I think there, there were two. The two most daunting aspects were how will I make the process work consistently over such a long period of time at so many locations, and the other one was how will I be, be accepted at so many locations. Have you ever been in a situation where that worked against you, where you weren't initially accepted, where they had to sort of get over their own sort of preconceptions about who you were yes you can certainly sense it sometimes Mm -hmm. there's only been like one clear-cut example but often the problems end up being internal like among themselves that are then extended outwards to you as an outsider Mm -hmm. um so it's not really that you're from the south or the north or where it's it's that you're not from there Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and it may not be until later on that maybe when the ice has been broken and you are in the pub having made a beautiful portrait of somebody that they'll remember for the rest of their days and they have a, a beer or two and they open up to you and say, do you know what? When you arrived, I thought you were a right. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Excuse my language. Yeah. Um, it's not mine. Um, uh and it's then that you find out, but actually what won through was when they realized that you were making something, you right. know, you had a, right. an apron that was splattered with silver nitrate stains and boots that were stained and um, arms and skin and hands stained with stuff that that are the product, you know, like they're the tattoos of your art. You sure. Know? Um, and uh, they realized that you were open to being mocked. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, relentlessly. Um, yeah, you know, uh, and it's all those things, you know, just to laugh about it rather than get defensive about it that win through in the end. Um, so, well, yeah, again, I think seeing the effort that the 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 effort has value, right? Yes. The, it's it's and and the photograph is a byproduct of the effort, right? So right. I think there is something that is relatable in that way that 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 it isn't just a click it is uh, there there is there is work that had to be done before you arrive there's work that will have to be done after you leave in addition to the work that has to be done while you're there that's right yeah i mean think about it from their perspective again they have a, a lifeboat that they have to maintain and make sure it's in tip-top order to fire up straight away and go at full tilt out at sea they have to train once or twice a week in the, and but the job they're doing sometimes might be as 
in inverted commas, simple as going to sea just to pull one person out of the water and put them on their boat and come back. But that might have taken them six hours to get to them. Right. Right. Um, and, and you don't know what's in store. Exactly. I mean, with, with the, 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 the story with Ian, you know, yes. that they had no idea what to expect there. Yeah. And they maybe had, you know, an expectation that it was going to go one way, but it didn't. And, and then you have to live with that. You have to go, okay, how do I react to this? How do I move forward from this? How do I, what could I have done? What should I have done? Um, not a job that I think would, would or could or should be taken lightly. Yes. And so when I'm there and they see that it takes me, that I have to think really carefully about parking Nina so that she's level and I've got leveling ramps, um, they, you know, and then, then there's the discussion that starts immediately. Well, why does she have to be level? So, well, because I'm using chemicals in trays. So I need to make sure that the trays inside Nina are, are not going to spill over. And I, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So they, they know that I'm thinking about it right from the start. So, and then it takes me about an hour to get Nina ready to make the first photograph, you know, to get her into darkroom mode, if you like, mm-hmm. rather than transport mode. Um, and then they start to see the camera become packed and put on a tripod and then me marching backwards and forwards between Nina and the camera. And I'm inviting them under the dark cloth to have a look at what I'm looking at so they can see the picture upside down and back to front. Um, and they appreciate the inclusion. You know, they appreciate the, they realize that the collaboration is already starting. And then they see me make a glass plate from scratch. You know, I've turned up with a box of chemicals and a box of glass and I'm making a photo, I'm making a thin piece of photographic film right before their very eyes um, and they can smell the smells and see the sights. And and then moments later, there's a photograph on that piece of glass. It's like, well, how the hell did that happen? Right. And then, then you do it again. And then you get the lifeboat into position and they see you briefing 30 lifeboat crew, people that they would normally struggle to herd into one place and get them to listen. You know, I've got the courage of my convictions to stand there in a loud voice, talking to them all, making eye contact with them all to tell them what I, I expect is going to happen and that's what I'd like to happen. So this is what we need to do to make that happen. Are you with me? You know, you're right. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah well, well, and it yeah, sets we'll the tone that this is effort, yes. that this is work and it has value and it, and it, and it yeah. has purpose. Yeah, and then they can see that there's been a bit of dilly-dallying that wasn't maybe my fault perhaps and the sun started to go down and they know it's going to be difficult because the process I've already told them isn't very sensitive to light. So the minute the sun starts to go down at the end of the day, we need to crack on. And then they see me pull it off anyway. They see me do it anyway. And and they see this beautiful photograph that's taken their breath away. And then we're in the pub afterwards. But only th- that's only after it's taken me an hour and a half to clean down Nina. <laughs> You know, yeah, they're they're three um, beers in by the time you get there. Yes, yeah, yeah. often the case, and 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 they, um, you know, I'm not saying that we always go to the pub. That isn't always involved. But I might be staying with a family, for example, who are putting me up. And I might be staying in their house, um, and they've seen the endeavour. I'm not saying by any stretch that my photography matches the endeavour of going to see in a no, force ten not. to save somebody, but within the context of photography there's a comparison to be made with the level of endeavor to make sure it's right. And they get that and love that. I think, you know, yeah, yeah. there's, there is, there is power in the purpose. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the, the one thing I wanted to tell you just while it's in my head about 
um, the Life Aquatic, is that uh, back in 2010, I went out with my family, took my wife and my two kids. We all went out to make the journey to New Zealand to see my dad, because my dad uh, lives in New Zealand, as I, we mentioned, didn't we, uh, uh, about 10 hours ago. <laughs> um and he'd never seen that yesterday when the conversation started (laughs) yes and he'd never seen the film um but knew i was really into it and there was this general consensus that maybe we should watch it and so we we um hired it from the local dvd remember those the the higher when you used to hire dvds to watch Uh, a film vaguely (laughs) vaguely yeah Yeah. and and uh you had to rub it on your shirt before you put it in the player Yes, exactly. Yeah. Um, and remember, I told you he was a deep sea diver. Yeah. And he watched the film and he was silent and captivated the whole way through. Really? And I, yeah. And I was worried. I was worried that maybe he didn't like it because it's quite quirky. It's quite a quirky film, quite um, off the wall at points. And he was just dead silent. And, and at the end, he stood up with, again, watery eyed and said, that's quite the best film I think I've ever seen. Really? And he went on, yeah. And he went on to tell me, he said, uh, Jack, did you know that I was in the Cousteau Society? I was a member of the Cousteau Society because I was a deep sea diver and I was just into diving and diving was what I loved. Did you know this at the time? No, no. Wow. He said, no. He said, so when, he said, when I saw that letter that Ned in the, in the Life Aquatic wrote to Steve Zizou, um, uh, you know, as a junior member of the Zizou Society, and they had this lovely typewritten letter that was shown as a, sequence in the film he said you know he he would love receiving the 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 um whatever it was the monthly newsletter from the Cousteau society um and having those interactions and that's what's made me think now with the lsp society you know the lifeboat station project society i love the idea of physical media for you yeah yeah so let's see how it goes <laughs> there there is something yeah, I mean, you're you're tapping into a couple different things. You're tapping into to our inherent sort of connection to physical objects, yes. But you're also tapping into you're you're making being a part of the LSP society something more tangible. Yes, I have my membership card. I have my letter. I have whatever it is, a patch, uh, the key ring. Exactly. There, there is something I I now belong to this club that other people belong to, and that gives us a sense of of uniqueness. I mean, there is there is this idea of nostalgia, and I think without again, nostalgia sometimes takes on a, a negative connotation, but I think. It is one of the reasons that that wet plate is so dramatic and still has so much sort of power is is it is this 170 year old process. And it's something that you typically wet plates or daguerreotypes or something like that. You see them in museums, you see them in galleries. So by their very nature, they are somehow more special. They are somehow more important, and I've got my air quotes, but, but there is something about them that transcends that same photograph on a piece of paper. Yes. I mean, I, mean, I I've again feel highly honored 
that my plates have been shown in museums. Yeah. And there was an instance where I am um, uh, in 2019, I had an exhibition um, on the South Coast uh, in the same town where the RNLI headquarters are mm. um, in a museum there. And so about 50 of my prints were shown around the wall. And wow. in the middle, they uh, had a, a special display cabinet, special security display cabinet, because it would seem that when museums are bringing in my glass plates now, they seem to have quite a, a you know, a high value attached to them. Hmm. Um, so they went into these lovely new cabinets. And so around the wall were my prints, um, which are digital prints that I make, um, you know, on, um, on lovely heavy paper. Um, so they were around, around the wall, but in this cabinet were two glass plates, two of the original glass plates. So you could see the print on the wall or you could see the glass plate in the cabinet. Yeah. And the there, there's something about it, Jack. There, yeah, there is. The, I mean, when the Sally Mann show was here um, a couple years ago, her prints are beautiful. Love them. No disrespect. But there was something about standing in front of these wet plates that it was a different level. And, 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 and the thing is, and I've said this before, some of her photographs, if you shot them on digital, who cares? Like you would, you wouldn't look at it a second. You wouldn't give it a second glance. It's a tree. It's a, it's an empty field. It's a bridge. Okay. But the fact that she drugged this eight by 10 camera out into that field, up onto that bridge, out into the world. And you know, this process all too well had to do it in situ and create that photograph in situ. It elevates, it elevates that photograph into something else and if you want to call it art that's your prerogative but it becomes more than what it would have been in another medium i think yeah and i think the thing that really is one of the aspects that i love and we alluded to this earlier as well that but the penny dropped for the people who were seeing it and it's amazing seeing the people who just couldn't step away from that cabinet they couldn't yeah. pull themselves away because they, the penny dropped that those pieces of glass, they were in the back of my camera in those locations with those people. All of those people in that photograph have seen that piece of glass as well. Right. Because right. they were there. Right. And that's, and that's where that piece of glass was. Yes. And the piece of glass has now been put, because there's only one, into a lovely mahogany holder inside a display cabinet in a museum. And it's got this amazing kind of holographic feel to it. It, it just, as it, it's something you can never replicate. You can't make a print of it. The, the, the prints, as I always describe it, they're, they're a tribute to the glass plate. They can never be a replica, a, a replica of the right. glass plate. Right. Because the glass plate is a one-off in every way. Right. And it is physical. Um, and it's, it's yeah. you're looking through depth. You're not just looking at a two-dimensional yes. surface. That's right. And it, yeah. Yeah. It, they, they feel kind of Harry Potter-esque. You know, it's as if... It's as if the people in there, it's, just, it's like it's um, a frame from a movie. Right. It's as if the people are about to start moving and get away and say, okay, right, yeah, off we go then. We've done the photo. It, they look so real yeah. in there yeah. that you can just imagine them walking around. It's extraordinary. And I think maybe part of that sensation comes from the fact that the exposure is six or seven seconds long, something like that. Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's a slice of their lives. So in that record, in that, recording there are heartbeats 
there are thoughts going on in their brains. And it's as if somehow you've recorded that slice of time and it's a glass time capsule. And you get that sensation when you look at it. You may not be able to put your finger on it if you haven't thought about this very much. But I think that's what comes across and takes people's breath away. And I mean that, it does. People gasp at these things. One of the things that has been such a treat for me in talking to Jack, and I hope this comes through for you, is how much he values being present in the moments in which he is making these photographs and the moments that he is afforded the opportunity to spend time with the people he photographs. Before we wrap this up, I'd like to play a piece of audio for you. It's part of a conversation Jack had with Angus Budge, the relief coxswain aboard the RNLI lifeboat Tobermory, recorded in 2016 off the west coast of Scotland. I wanted to include it for a couple reasons. The first of which is, before I met Jack, I had no idea what a coxswain was or what they did, and this clip gives us a peek into that. The other reason is that I just love the ambience, the sense of place we get from this clip. Here's Angus Budge. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, mate. Thanks for that. I'll take it uh, just when we're 100 meters off or so, Benny. Yeah, I'll be safe. In the old days, that coxswain was almost always at the helm. You know, he might be at the helm 20 hours or... And it was, you know, I've had stories of coxswains being carried out of boats. So you don't really want to have a situation like that in the modern age. You should be a leader, not a commander. And everyone on board's a volunteer, so you're leading a group of people, you're not commanding a lot of people. And that role hasn't changed. You know, the person who listens to their conscience is the person that makes the good coxswain. And if somebody says, do you think that's right, you should always question yourself. You know, you have no right to, to be right every time. If somebody says, hey, let's just think about that, you go, yeah, I'll think about that. Yeah, it's all yours. I have control. Obviously. So we're presently heading into Tobermory, where we're going to tie up. It's quite a pleasant afternoon in Tobermory. If you exclude the rain, the cloud, and the wind. It's just going through Shackle with Stuart. Oh, yeah, sorry. You can find out more about Jack's Lifeboat Station project at lifeboatstationproject.com, where you'll also be able to purchase prints or join the LSP Society to help support Jack's work. You can connect with him on Twitter, at Project Lifeboat. Subscribe to Jeffrey Sidoris Everything wherever you listen to podcasts to get every episode of every show that I produce in a single feed. You can connect with me on my website at jeffreysidoris.com, that's J-E-F-F-E-R-Y-S-A-D-D-O-R-I-S, or on Twitter and Instagram, at Jeffrey Sidoris. If you've got questions or feedback or would like to share a story that you'd like to talk about, email me at talkback at jeffreysedoris.com. I'll be back in a week or so with another conversation, and I hope you'll join me. 
Until then, as always, thank you very much for being here. Thank you for your time. Thank you for your attention. And I'll talk to you on the next one.